Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. All right. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, January 22nd, 2014, and you are listening to the Talking Comics Podcast. I'm your host, host Bobby Shortle, and I'm here with Steve Say. Hey, I'm back. <laughs> Mr. Bob Ryer. You're not here with anybody, technically. <laughs> and Miss Stephanie Cook. Hey. So if the audio levels seem a little different to you guys, it's because um, there is a blizzard going on right now in New York, and so... Uh, because Steve and Bob and I usually record in the same room, uh, for safety reasons, we decided not to do that because there's going to be about 15 inches of snow on the ground uh, by the end of the day. So, I'd like to note that in Canada, it's cold but not snowing. Yeah, Just well, saying. you guys are lucky. You guys are lucky. Yeah. Because it took me about four hours to get home from work today. So it usually takes Ouch. about a half an hour. That's so, insane. Wow. Yeah. So it was bad out there. Bad, bad, bad. So we wanted to. Uh, deliver a podcast anyway and uh we even got bob on a computer with a camera pointing at him and everything (laughs) it's it is very shocking it's basically a miracle that's true so the audio levels might be a little whacked out here and things might be a little off but um uh, we're using google hangouts to this so i guess it'll also be on youtube um if folks want to watch it there oh i just shaved uh, you should have told me i'm sorry bob i'm sorry (laughs) you're gonna be Uh, a movie star bob are we doing this live? I mean, it's technically live. I didn't send out the link, but Stephanie did. Awesome. I didn't send out the link. Oh, you didn't? No, I just posted a photo. Ah, okay. I just saw a link, so I was like, uh-oh. Nah. No, no, uh, no. Yeah. So if we, have, if we have any people like dedicated enough to always be watching our YouTube channel, they'd see it. But in the case that, I think we're pretty safe. That no one's going to stumble upon it um, while we're going here. Um, oh, wait, so, it says one viewer. Uh, that could mean one of us, though. So. But there's four of us. It's true. I know. I don't know. Google Hangouts doesn't know how to do math. It's probably <laughs> Rob. Yeah. Hey, Rob. Hey, Rob. <laughs> and tomorrow in the shop, he's going to be like, hey, guys. Yeah. <laughs> on his iPod. Tomorrow, um, I'm going to have food poisoning. Yeah, because Stephanie ate, like, eight-day-old 
this is Chinese food before we started recording. <laughs> What's well, oh, like boy. eight days old? It's only from like Friday. Okay, so it's like five days old. It's probably got lots of preservatives in it. It's about four days too old for Chinese. Yeah. I was hungry. Let's be fair, it could possibly give you food poisoning the first day you get it. So you're really Touché. playing with fire the farther away you go. So Well, maybe I'll drink and then it'll counteract. Alcohol yeah. kills germs. Exactly. You know that. <laughs> I've got some rum. <laughs> oh. A coffee mug. Well, no, this is tea, oh, but okay. I can go get I... some rum. But the way you said it was like, I got some rum, and then you drank the cup, so the intonation... Okay, then that. maybe it's tea. Okay, there you what, go. Uh, what tea did you end up with since you didn't have the kind that you actually wanted? Oh, I went out and got some. Ah. Uh, I was like, I'm craving it, I am braving the weather, and then I looked like I belonged on the North Pole because I wore like this big parka that had like this giant fur lining and had like big gloves on and big boots and just it's like literally two minutes away but apparently I felt the need to spend like five minutes bundling up that's a great right. story it's a really great story you're welcome for sharing <laughs> thank you so much like a tick about to a Christmas story. You never saw Christmas story? No, but what'd you say? He looked like a tick about to explode. Oh. Little Randy, they put him in all the I know what you're talking about, Bob. We got you. I've seen a Christmas story. I'm just trying to blank. (laughs) (sighs) All right. Puts him in the red snowsuit and wraps him in scarves. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. He lay there like a slug. His little brother, and he's like, help me! This podcast is This is what happens when you, Bob and Stephanie can actually see each other. <laughs> <laughs> I have no control over the ramblings anymore. They're gone. They well, are gone. Wait till I out of the room a few times to get pictures and props and whatever. It'll be great. Props. I love when, when Bob's cutting out, it sounds like he's cursing. Yeah, I know. Get the fuck out of the room. <laughs> we're we're censoring him. I'm oh. tempted to post the link to this. I don't care. You can absolutely do that. Stephanie no, doesn't. don't do it. Stephanie doesn't want me to. I won't. Oh, okay. Alright. Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna die by Chinese food. <laughs> All right. So I know I know you got, it's hard to tell. This is a comic book podcast. Um, <laughs> This is our Blizzard edition, 2014, and uh, maybe I should put the laptop to the window. We can see it. Uh, it's true. It's true. You could absolutely do that. <laughs> Where uh, we are going to do uh, probably a little bit of a shorter show than usual today, just because of the circumstances and how we're recording it. But we're going to uh, do some books of the week, and we're just going to do some listener questions that we collected on our our forum uh, that we're gonna we're gonna check out. So let's, uh, without further ado, do some books of the week here. Uh, Steve, you were gone last week. What I do you was. Got for us? Oh boy, I read uh, I read a whole bunch of stuff, but let's try to let's try to keep it current. Uh, it's funny I can't see what Bob has to has to offer. Usually I, I feed off of his pile. Um, I'll just say a quick word about uh, Animal Man. I uh, I went back and decided to catch up uh, with uh, Animal Man twenty three through twenty six. I don't know why I'm holding it up. Maybe one person's <laughs> watching and they can see. <laughs> um, 
Admiral, first of all, um, Raphael Albuquerque on art is kind of perfect. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, some of the, I was posting a couple of the, uh, the panels on my Instagram and Twitter and whatnot last night, some really, really beautiful stuff. I mean, I've, I've always enjoyed the art for Animal Man, but this was a really nice treat to have, I think it was two issues that he contributed to. And then, uh, Cully Hammer came on for, uh, number 26 mm-hmm. and, uh, it was interesting. I mean, it's, I, I really like the the brother blood villain. Yeah. And so I have a question though. This is brother blood watching mm-hmm. arrow. The Sebastian is, is Sebastian blood. Is his name? Yeah. yeah. Is that the same guy? Just like a different version? Yeah, absolutely. It is. Okay. Same Cause character. Uh-huh. What's that? It's his brother. They're blood brothers. Oh boy. Are uh, you being, Oh wow. I thought you were being serious. <laughs> Um, no, because he, like, obviously the mask that he wears in the show is different. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's the same idea. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool for me because I've been watching Arrow and I've been enjoying it and, you know, and everything. And when they revealed the name, I was like, oh, wow, that's really kind of cool. And so picturing that character for the television show, if he was, you know, sucked into uh or he was like a denizen of the red or whatever the rot and all that stuff uh just really kind of cool to to see that uh that bit and animal man is suddenly going cosmic in a way yeah a little bit yeah so um some really interesting stuff with that uh i wanted just to point out that imagine agents number four of four by uh brian join and oh, I lost the artist's name. Da, 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 da. Oh, Bachan. There's, it's, it's one of those single name Prince, Cher, Madonna kind of deals. Um, it wrapped up really nice. Uh, Imagine Agents ended up being a really cool, you know, four part mini and uh, lots of laughs, lots of cool art. And I would really like to see the series continue. Hopefully there's enough of, a, of an audience for it or perhaps because it's from boom, they can, you know, afford to, to bring it back at some point. It just seems like the way that it ended it, that there's just this whole, this whole new, you know, can of worms has opened up where you're having not to give away the ending, but basically ima- imaginary, imaginary people becoming a part of our community. And it would be really cool if that is expanded upon and continued and in, in perhaps another series. Um, so that was a lot of fun. I got to check out uh, Disney Kingdom's Seekers of the Weird, number one. Hmm. Did anybody else read this? What one, sir? It's uh, Disney Kingdom Seekers of the Weird, number one. Nope. Uh, it is by Brandon Seifert, with uh, art by Carl Moline and inks by Rick Magyar. Uh, Seekers of the Weird, it was, it was cool. It wasn't uh, it wasn't mind blowing by any uh, stretch of the imagination, but it, it definitely shows promise. I I like the kind of the classic Disney storytelling approach that it has. It's about uh, like a classic Disney setup. Like you've heard it a thousand times that these two kids, you know, brother and sister, they get along, but they don't get along, and their parents are 
you know, they're basically collectors of weird things. They have a shop, um, kind of like a novelty shop or one of those, um, what do you call it? One of those things like you go into and it's it's like old knickknacks and curiosity old, shop. That's it. That's it. It's a curiosity shop. And apparently they have a study or a back room that the kids are never allowed into, so on and so forth. You pretty much come to find out that, you know, a benevolent force has come back into the world and is threatening to destroy it if the family doesn't give up this artifact and the parents get taken and the kids have no idea where it is. Um, Their uncle shows up. They're like long lost adventuring kind of um, almost like a Indiana Jones ish kind of uncle suave looks a little bit like Johnny Depp. He's a little kooky and uh, they basically get sucked into this world where all of these creatures and all of these things that they've read about from their parents books, it all turns out to be real. And now they're, you know, before the before the candleman burns down at the 12th hour they need to return this item or else, you know, darkness will be unleashed upon the world. And uh, I mean, to me, it's, it's a classic Disney story. I mean, does anybody else feel that from what I've described? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's based right off of a scrapped part of Disneyland. It was supposed to be originally part of Disneyland. I did not know that. Yeah. The secrets of the weird was, it was, uh, it was going to be Tomorrowland, all those other things. And that was going to be one of the, the sections of the park that they that they decide not to do yeah cool um yeah i mean i i I dig it i'm definitely gonna give it another issue or two um i like the art i'm a little bit iffy on some of the writing and and some of the dialogue some of it doesn't feel like the the dialogue from the kids doesn't feel very natural doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily sound like the way that kids would talk to one another especially brother and sister They, they you'd think that there would be a little bit more of like a uh, a little bit more comfort, a little bit more uh, like they're more familiar with one another, mm. but uh, like a little bit more like brotherly, sisterly jabbing and, and stuff like that. Like it seems like they live totally separate lives, yet they've grown up together. So I'd like to see, you know, within a couple of issues, I'd like to see their their new situation kind of bring them together and perhaps we get to watch them form a bond where they, they need to work with one another in order to get this situation taken care of and rescue their parents and so on and so forth. Um, I'll just mention really quick, Alex and Ada, number three from Jonathan Luna and Sarah Vaughn continues to be fantastic Uh, for people that were on the fence with uh, checking it out for the past two issues. I'm happy to say that issue number three really opens up the story. Uh, There are a lot of really great character moments from characters that have not been uh, in the story as much so far. And basically reactions to Ada herself. She's an android that Alex has been given as a gift, uh, as like a live-in companion. And what really got to me about this particular issue was the reactions from the friends. Um... Basically, for such like for such a foreign situation where, like, let's say years in the future, you come over to your friend's house and you find out that they have a new boyfriend or new girlfriend, and that new boyfriend or girlfriend is in fact an android built to you know serve them and and be their ultimate companion. The reactions from the friends were really interesting because it was four different friends 
all four very unique reactions to the situation and to Ada. And instead of them being like turned off by the idea of her being there, you know, you have one that was weirded out, one that was curious, one that was being really immature about it, another one who was kind of had a lot of respect for androids in general. He has a bit of a past with them and, and has respect. So he's pretty much, he seems like the, the most influential out of the group of friends. So he's kind of like telling everybody to, you know, give her a chance. Let's get to know her. Let's see what this is all about kind of thing. And um, just from a story perspective, I appreciated that. Um, Jonathan Luna has a way of making his characters feel very real, that you can kind of see your friends in the characters that he presents in his books. And I mean, not that I would ever end up in the situation that Alex is in, but if I ever did, I would hope that people would have some form of understanding for the situation. So I thought that was really nice that it was reflected uh, in the book like it was. And uh, towards the end, the latter end of the comic uh, basically shows like a like a like a interface with the future internet that I would kill for. I would mm -hmm. kill for the the format, the art style. You know, for people that perhaps think that the art's been a little ho hum so far, the art again just like the story opens up in the second half and kind of puts us in a new a new environment for the story and really really picks it up so for people that are curious about it uh it's alex and ada jonathan luna and sarah vaughn definitely start now it's 15 issues it's only on issue number three so you have plenty of time to catch up pick up uh issues one or two uh it's really fantastic so far uh i just got yeah yeah i i really I'm really glad that it's it's getting really good that and it's something that people can jump onto because I was I'll admit I was a little disappointed with uh, whispers and I was it was really bugging me that when I'm when I'm always pushing Luna Brothers stuff on people that the latest thing that possibly could have been the easiest thing to pick up wasn't exactly the best so now that there's something new on the shelves that seems to be going in a really positive direction it's a good it's a good place to point people and say go and check this out um all right two more and then i'll be quiet i have to give it up for rat queens number four stephanie did you read rat queens i haven't read number four yet oh my god it was the best one yet i haven't read like hardly anything hello my parents were here last week oh it was so good it was so good. It's it's by far my favorite issue of the series so far. Uh, it's and it's not even it's not a whole lot of dialogue. It's not a whole lot of pushing the plot forward. Most of it is a gigantic battle sequence, and I mean the jokes and the the where the sword. I'll just say where the sword ends up <laughs> when they're swinging it around. I just like I crack up with laughter when I'm reading Sex Criminals. It's one of one of the few books that makes me laugh out loud when I'm reading it to myself. Like I was on the plane, and I was I, I went to to Portland and I was reading um, Sex Criminals, and with my headphones on, and I'm just cackling to myself in in my seat in the middle of, of a flight from from Portland to New York. And, ah, and people are like, "You okay, man?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." I'm just reading a good book. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, we, we talk about it a lot on the show and I, I put it on a lot of, you know, my personal list for, uh, end of the year stuff. 
Uh, Rat Queens from Curtis Weave and Rock Upchurch continues to be amazing. And if you're not reading it, you really should be because it's so good. Um, okay. Book of the Week is without a doubt. Um, I mean, it, the year just started, so I can't say it's. I, I guess I can say it's one of my favorite of the year. Uh, is gonna is actually the Superior Spider-Man, the Inhumanity tie-in. Uh, so it's Superior Spider-Man number one by Christos Gage with art by Stephanie Hans. Uh, I was fortunate enough to interview Stephanie at the uh, New York City Comic Con 2013. She is a wonderful artist. You might know her from, uh, she did several of the Journey into Mystery arcs when Karen Gillan was writing, and she also happened to do the interior art for Fearless Defenders number seven. I absolutely positively love her work. She's got this very almost dexter soyish painterly style of hers that it just it looks like it it must have taken months for her to create these pages and these panels everything about this book is gorgeous absolutely gorgeous but my my other favorite thing about it was with all the superior stuff going on and how long it's been going on i mean it's been like a year and change so far that Dan Slott's been writing this character and Christopher Yost and a couple of other people have gotten their hands on it as well. That as it's gone along, like Otto's version of Spider-Man has kind of gotten, you know, more brutal and he's kind of been mean spirited and he's controlling the city and it's gotten away from, when he originally became, when he inhabited Peter's body and decided to uphold the, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, he was kind of being a do-gooder in the beginning and at least trying to be. Uh, and then, you know, as he got more power and more influence, it, it kind of fell away. And now Spider-Man's kind of become a, another, just another villain, um, a complex one, but he's been causing a lot of tr a lot of trouble for, you know, Manhattan and for the Avengers and for everyone. Um, this issue goes back to superior Spider-Man Otto doing the right thing and being, showing a lot of respect for the city's police and for the fire department and just for a, a, a wanting to, you know, nullify the chaos that goes on within the city uh pretty much what happens in this is a resident like an old resident who he lives in the city the inhumans are coming adelon has fallen and he finds a piece of tech that's landed on his roof and he decides to take it home with him in the hopes of using that tech as a threat to help someone that he lives with i don't want to give everything away but uh essentially what you get is a journey of uh, Superior Spider-Man and the local fire department and police department trying to have a heart-to-heart -heart and reach this, uh, this citizen that is terrified of all the recent situations going on, all the disaster, all the, the unknowing of what's gonna happen next with all these you know inhumans running around, you got superheroes here, there, and everywhere, cities falling apart. Uh, it, it shows a really, really, really just a, a respect for the other people who help out in these situations. I feel like sometimes 
with all the superheroes running around that the police or the fire department get overlooked for what they do in these situations that it's always superheroes that are given credit for you know rescuing buildings or evacuating buildings or rescuing people from from burning storefronts or whatever superior spider-man basically tells his underlings and other people within the city that you have to respect your authority figures these people are here to help you and it was a really really solid message delivered with a lot of heart and uh it just it stood out to me above above the other comics as just being something uh really quite sentimental in a way and to 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 backpedal emotionally with the superior character and show that beneath all the destruction and all the dastardly plans and all of that stuff that he still has that part of him that has a respect for these people really got to me and it kind of brought me back almost in a, a year's time to when he that was still his mantra and his thing so it was it was like a like a refresher uh, in a way of, of a comic and I really really enjoyed it so um, for anyone listening I know we had a we had a suggestion on the the new forums to repeat titles and just remind people of what we're talking about so once again uh, this was the inhumanity tie-in issue for the superior spider-man uh, number one and it was written by Christos Gage with art by Stephanie Hans I cannot recommend this enough if you love spider-man you love superior spider-man or you just have a lot of respect for you know your your ny not even nypd but just your local police and fire departments for all the you know all the hard work they do and, and laying their asses on the line to protect us and stuff like that so it's a really it's a nice tribute issue to them very nice very nice yeah. um before we move on i wanted to ask you though about um superior spider-man number 25 yeah. Um, which came out, and we won't we won't talk too much about, but it, you know it's been last week when you were on the show, we obviously talked about the about the announcement that you know Peter w was coming back, uh, and obviously yeah. uh, number twenty five deals with kind of the beginnings of of that uh, yeah. process. Uh, what did you think about that issue as a whole? Um, honestly, I I, I it's it's weird. I I feel like. I feel like every time that an issue of the Superior Spider-Man is is publicized as being this, you know, like life-changing thing, like every couple of issues, it's like, oh my God, Superior Spider-Man's gonna blow up. The issue never lives up to the hype. Uh, for me personally, I still enjoy the hell out of it. I just don't find the events that that everybody seems to be making such a fuss about to be that fussworthy. Fussworthy, uh, I like that. Yeah, I just, you know, everybody was, you know, they were, there was a big thing, it's kind of hard to talk about it without spoilers, mm -hmm. but they're like, oh, you know, Peter's coming back, Peter's coming back. The way that he comes back, the manner upon which he comes back in this issue was not what I was expecting. And I was kind of like, well, that just, it just makes me have more questions that that wasn't necessarily a, a, a satisfying comeback for me. It was just kind of letting me know that he's still around, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what I find, well, I'm, I'm finding other things more interesting about the book. Uh, I'm curious as to what the hell's going on with Carly. Cause mm -hmm. Carly's been in, uh, in a situation the past few issues that seems to be a pretty lasting thing for her character and i keep telling myself that every time i turn the page that they're gonna they're gonna reveal 
that, you know, she's really not as corrupted as they would, you know, lead you to believe. And they haven't done that yet. So I'm a little concerned because I really like her and I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about her new direction. I think it's really interesting, but I'm also a little um, miffed because mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't know that I want that to be her fate, but that keeps me reading and that keeps me interested and stuff like that. The Venom stuff has been really cool. I'll say that. Uh, you know, it, it's taken me roughly about two years to get used to, like, the militant Eddie Brock type of Venom. Now I, now that I, I understand how his suit works and what it does for him and his connection to it a bit more through um, the Darkest Hours uh, arc, I, I, I want to see more of him. So Slots won me over in that way. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. Um, I, again, it's to me, you know, everybody was, I mean, obviously it's been revealed that Amazing is coming back and stuff like that. It feels like another breadcrumb as opposed to it being like a definitive, satisfying conclusion to the whole Peter Parker being gone thing. It just feels like another piece of the puzzle to me as opposed to it being, a, you know, the big shocking thing comeback that everybody was thinking that this would be yeah i mean for me all we have here is we we've kind of gone back to the way we were like 10 months ago wherever it was or you know uh so i want to see where it goes from here Uh, you know i didn't necessarily like the way the character re-entered the fray but you know we'll see how it goes from here but i thought the issue was yeah it was pretty good Um, yeah i mean without trying to spoil it that's what i am i mean we could talk about it off air and stuff like that but yeah that's kind of how i felt that i i I felt like it was kind of it was a little like not, I hate to, I don't want to use the word cheap, but it was a, it was a, a, I, yeah, I didn't like it. I'll just leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, Steve's books of the week. Let's, uh, let's head over to Bob. Bob, what's, uh, what's your book of the week? Stephanie, I can oh, see this, this, this should what? be fun. <laughs> she keeps smirking at me. She keeps on like doing this like crooked mouth thing every time I talk. <laughs> and she's like, she forgets that I could see her. <laughs> no, I, I'm just like, cause like, I don't know. I'm also like, there was a message, so oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Bob, go ahead. We'll have to call the teacher, that's all. <laughs> she's just, the she's not used to us out. being able to see her, so I can see all the funny faces. No. I'm like, <laughs> well, there's also, I don't know. There's I'm also five-year-old Chinese food. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm basically just like writing down my final farewells just in case I drop dead, you know. <laughs> I, I want people to know where my stuff should go now that it's all unpacked. So <laughs> that's all. It's very sweet of you. Leave the camera yeah. on so we can see the body and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Direct the EMTs to the right spot. Yeah, here. <laughs> there's a back door. <laughs> all right, Bob, Bob, book of the week. What do you got for us? Okay, starting off with a non-book of the week, it's World's Finest number 19, which will be my last issue of this. So he says. So I, no, I'm going to buy the annual, which is by a different artist, which is a flashback to Earth 2 and them as Robin. I don't know how many people can see this or how good the picture is, but I mean, <laughs> way, way too much of stuff. <laughs> too much of that. You know, she shouldn't fly. I just had giant power girl boobs on my face. Yeah. On my face. 
a book that started with George Perez and Kevin McGuire with such great promise that it was so different than all the other books that has been reduced to this, no good. So, sorry, but I'm done. I'm now down to next to nothing on this. So that, that for those who care, it is World's Finest, and the artist, should I mention R.B. Silva or not? Oh, I did already. Sorry. Anyway, um, Triple Helix number four, which brought this part of the story to an end. It's John Byrne and Leonard O'Grady on colors, Byrne on everything else. The only thing is, as this gets cosmic and actiony and all sorts of great stuff, reveals and bad stuff behind the scenes, it doesn't end. It ends at a cliffhanger. Mm. We will have to wait for the next miniseries sometime in the summer, which is called The Conclave, apparently. Some, another introduced in this one. So if you're waiting for an end, it's a little disappointing, but it's a great issue. But it's part of another larger story. So your mileage may vary. All right. Uh, how about a Gothtopia tie-in for fun? Oh, yeah, let's talk about Gothtopia. Yeah, let's about. talk about that, actually. Let's talk about that. <laughs> That's Batgirl 27, and it's Gail Simone and Robert Gill, as opposed to Fernando Pascal. But it has, the art has a lot of the same qualities that he does, very emotional, uh, lovely faces, the expressions are wonderful, depth of art. But what we have is we have different colors because it's his Gothtopia. It's Gotham City where the sun shines, and not everyone left and right. Now, I didn't pick up Detective 27, so I have no idea the engine that created this, but quite frankly, through Gail Simone's writing, I didn't care that it isn't as important as the how and the what's going on within the story. Mm -hmm. Where you first meet uh, a woman and ice cream, because, well, that, you know, that's it's a good thing to have in Gotham City is, is ice cream and ice cream trucks and so on and so forth. Um, she's having kind of a bad... She's starting to remember what the world was like before. And she's a bit conflicted with who she's working for. And I'll just leave it at that. We see Barbara breakfast with her dad. And they're talking about James Jr. volunteering at a homeless shelter and the doing fancy stuff at the hospital or whatever, it's also well and good, and she's just sitting around eating all morning. So that's a good thing right away. Hmm. As yeah. things begin to go badly with, um, how should I put this, poisoned ice cream, mm -hmm. the woman who runs the company is having her own issues. Barbara, who is not Batgirl but Bluebell, is swinging around the city. The police actually kind of like her. Also different. It's all such a 180 from the regular Gotham City. Uh, we end here with Barbara maybe getting a glimpse of what's going on and getting ready to move forward herself because this continues into issue 28. Yeah. If you the aftermath of Batgirl Wanted, it isn't here. I think these two issues are fun. You could probably skip them and move. But if you're collecting this Gothopia thing, you may want to pick these up if you're not getting Batgirl, just for a different entrance into what the Joker may or may not be doing, because he may show up yet. Anybody yeah. else read this? Yeah, I read it as well. I mean, I think I talked last week how I really enjoyed uh, the Gothopia part of Batman 27. And this was no different for me. I, I, I'm very intrigued by this whole... Uh, 
utopian Gotham. And Bob, you didn't miss. They didn't say how it happened in the okay in the in the in the first issue. So it's still very much a mystery about basically how people are being fooled into believing that Gotham is this utopia. And there's something you know pretty sinister, obviously, going on underneath the the kind of covers here mm-hmm. of of this whole story. But I thought the stuff with uh, Barbara and kind of struggling with her memories and you know this kind of idea that these people are are being driven crazy by the fact that they're trying to they're having to believe that uh this world is perfect uh, i think is is pretty interesting it's very very similar to a storyline in angel season four which kind of basically the same thing happens where a, a character makes an entire world believe that it's perfect, you know, and all this stuff. And people, the people who don't believe it are seen as insane and, and, mm-hmm. and, and violently, you know, attacked. And it takes like a breakthrough to get them to remember what's going on. But I, I thought that this issue was really, really good. And I thought that it filled out the world nicely and it, it kept me excited about this, this, you know, crossover thing that's happening right now from detective on to these books. So now, I'm also a little reminded of the John Carpenter movie. They live. Mm-hmm, yeah. Where things are not quite what they appear, but mm-hmm. are to get their vision back. Yeah, um, changes things up. Hmm? Go I, ahead, Steve. I got a question for Bobby because I'm—I've actually—I was very conflicted about um, the Batgirl issue. What am, what am I missing from Detective Twenty Seven? Because I didn't buy it. So what am I? What am I missing as the setup for for this whole Gothtopia situation? Well, the first part of the story is there. So. Uh, you know, chapter 27 last week was a like, almost like a mini anthology of sorts to celebrate the anniversary, the 75th anniversary, I think, of Batman yeah. and the the anniversary of Detective 27, which is the obviously the first appearance of Batman, and it had stories by a bunch of people, Scott Snyder and people like that. But one part of it was John Layman's story, who is the regular writer of Detective, and his Gothopia storyline. So there's a there's a story. The first part of this story is there. Um, and I was, I wasn't picking detective up, you know, I wasn't interested in picking it up. I only picked it up because it had these other stories in it and I read Gothopia and I really, 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 really liked it. So I'm going to be picking it up. Like I said last week for the next couple of months and all, not all the times, but the ones that I'm reading, I'm excited about. Well, I was, that's what I was going to ask you. Like, are you, are you going to follow this into titles that you don't normally buy or you're just going to? No, no, but I don't do that even with the, the stuff I really love, you know, I won't even do that with zero year or with or anything yeah. like that. So um, I'm not going to do that, but I'm yeah. going to buy detective right. in the next couple of months because they're doing it. Yeah. So that's a change up. I mean, like yeah. I, 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 first of all, I, I appreciate how different it is. I, I like that it's, you know, it's bright and it's trying to do something different, but coming off of the most wanted storyline it just it seemed i felt like i was thrown into the situation without having any kind of not warning but just any kind of pretense i guess they're assuming that people would have bought detective 27 in order to be introduced to the gothtopia arc it just it seems like going from one to the other that i had no like i had no idea aside from hearing you talk about it on the podcast it sounded like a like a you know Cobblepot is I think the the mayor, mm-hmm. and um, Catwoman is is known as Catbird, right? Yeah, she's like the Robin in this. Okay, world. 
Yeah, I mean, and I love, I absolutely love um, Barbara's outfit as a uh, bluebell in uh, in this. But I, when the part when they're kind of flashing back to the way things used to be, I had no idea what the hell was going on. Mm-hmm. I didn't even, I didn't even know what that was. Right. So I think that I'm, I feel like I'm missing pieces to the story. I, I just. I liked it. I just wasn't as satisfied with it as it being my first introduction into Gothtopia. I think I might need to read the other part to get, you know, full enjoyment out of out of this piece of it. Yeah, absolutely. But I think I think as a as a as someone only reading Batgirl and not aware of the other things going on, it's a very jarring yeah. issue. Yeah. Because it doesn't it doesn't explain itself at all because DC books don't have the thing at the beginning that tells you what's yeah. going on. I just, so, I hope- <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I opened it up, and all of a sudden, you know, it's like Saturday morning cartoons, and mm. birds are singing, and I'm like, this is the Gotham that I know. Yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of the point, you yeah, know? That's, that's what makes it stand out and what makes it different. Yeah, absolutely. Really... Again, I, am, I am that guy that only reads Batgirl, mm-hmm. and I came upon it and enjoyed the story for what it is. My more disappointment is not seeing reading and enjoying i just have to forsake that for a while which has been unfortunately the hallmark of what has been happening with batgirl all through this time period now just so many crossovers right and they haven't been bad they just interrupt the regular story yeah yeah anywho (laughs) that was batgirl 27 gailson robert gill i can't i need more light in this room it's as bad as your place bobby (laughs) is pretty well lit yeah <laughs> and am. even if it didn't it would be lit by pretty little liars right now yeah no it's over now that's over <laughs> I now keep on i keep on like every time bobby's on screen i keep on checking out like oh what's going on back there I i've never watched that show ever but i keep there's seeing the trailer for fire academy <laughs> oh yeah i know there's a lot of those on, on abc family that actually looks um, pretty funny uh it does uh, it's the Mean Girls people. Yeah. I I love Mean Girls. Mean so. Girls yeah. and Heather's. Yeah. Uh, so Heather's the original. Heather's is awesome. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the remake, is there another Heather's? Didn't no. Oh, you know what? No, it's from. I'm I'm thinking. I have a I have a tagline from the people who made Heather's stuck in my oh. head on another movie. My mistake. <laughs> and it from was my producer the, of Academy. <laughs> uh, all right, Bob. What else you got for us? Uh, Fantastic Four number 16, which is the, uh, this is Matt Fraction, Carl Kessel, and Rafe Ianko. There's also a backup story that I've been told you shouldn't read until after you read FF16, which comes out today. Oh, awesome. Because it it apparently spoils some of this backup story, which is a really, I glanced at some of it before I heard I shouldn't. Hmm. And it is a beautifully emotional about the relationships of the groups and everything else, but that's the backup story, which I have, still haven't read, so who knows where it's going to go. But the I main read. story... Go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying I read it, and it was it was wonderful. It was wonderful. It's uh, it's going to lead in nicely to the uh, all-new Marvel Now, point now, now, now stuff that's about to happen. <laughs> well, what, what is sad, though, is what I did, just a few pages, is that it makes me want Carl Kessel to have gotten this gig. Well, all I can tell you is that you, you would have never known how much the Silver Surfer loves hot dogs 
until after you read this issue. Because <laughs> he likes cosmic rays, too, yeah. we, we discovered. You must try these heated dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so but Bob, as a Fantastic Four fan, obviously, how was this? Uh, I guess it's a very short goodbye, but it's still a wrapping up of kind of, uh, you know, albeit a fragmented, fragmented run, someone's run. So how, how, did, how did it play? Well, and uh, what this has been about always was it, you know, more adventure, less action. And it's about family. And in this one particular issue, in an alternate future, our Fantastic Four still does all the things you expect. It's heroism and courage and sacrifice and all the rest, all with, with good humor and tons of heart. And it takes all of them plus the other four to be annihilating Conqueror who is Doom, Annihilus, and Kang mushed together into somebody who's such a thing. They're, they're all to get here. Uh, we get a lovely flash forward to John and what goes on, and that becomes a flashback. You have to read it to see. It's a little complicated, but it does, it does work. As, as we sort of pull to the end of this, as we get to the, the both teams coming together, and I'm going to try to see if I can actually see this, the leader of the alternate Fantastic Four is Stevenson Storm, and t time has broken down again where everything should have been a certain way because of them defeating Doom here. The universal constant has been changed. Not everything will be what it is. So he says what happens next is uncertain. Ben says, meaning business as usual? Read, we'll think of something, Johnny, he always does. Cut to Sue, you know, close up, let's go home. And that's what this book is about, family and home and getting back to, to the whole mess of it. That fraction a lot. For all, in only 16 issues, he crafted one of the great runs in this book's history, as far as I'm And it's really a shame there's not going to be more, but we may see him back again yet. You never know. Ne nothing's ever certain in comics, right? Nope, not not at all. That is true. Um, uh, did you get a chance to check it out? Uh, I did not yet. No. Are, are you excited okay. about the the um the incoming Watch. run though? The the James the, Robinson. James Robinson from what James Robinson, from what I've read, is very good at handling superhero teams. We are starting understanding of the premise is breaking everything down before coming back together, which is a classic. Thing, which unfortunately we've seen only about two years ago with John, you know, taking the various parts out and Johnny and so on and so forth and to, moving to the FF. Maybe too soon to do it again, but if he does it well, six play well. I'm just hoping we'll continue the excellence this book has now had for the better part of five years between the last two creative teams. All right. Very nice. And we got, uh, obviously, you'll be talking more about en endings next week when we get into FF, the last mm -hmm. FF issue. So yep. we'll talk about that next week. Um, anything else, Bob? The, yes, the actual book of the week is something oh. really screwy, screwy and old. And I think somehow this may be right up Stephanie's alley. Like a real book that is also a graphic novel. It is called, here's a picture. It is. <laughs> Gemma Bovary by Posey Simmons. It is based on uh, Gustave Flaubert's 1856 novel, Madame. And this was originally done in 1999 as a series of newspaper scripts in The Guardian in Britain. 
Uh, Posey Simmons did Tamara Drew, which on one of my first appearances on our little show here, I And what we have here is a young lady who's coming off a terrible breakup, uh, takes up with a fellow who just, he's armored away, where he, she's in a really bad state at a party they're both at. He takes her in. Uh, she's disposing of the fellow she had. He's in a very end terrible divorce with a shrewish wife and kids and the whole mess of it. She ends up living with him. She decides she can't be near the wife and the husband, the, the husband's ex-wife rather. They, she gets a, a slight windfall, moves to France, moves to Normandy. And there she comes across the fellow who's narrating this story for the most part. His name is Jobert, the, he's the baker in this little town they're in. And he becomes infatuated with Gemma begins searching for her and looking to see what she's doing describing how it's three weeks since her death <laughs> uh he comes to see this fellow charlie bovary who she's taken up and married and moved to france with they're commiserating and Jobert is describing how he he's how, how much he's to blame for her death when charlie shows a box of her diaries while they're getting drunk, he steals one of them, goes home, over a couple of other visits, steals some more. The story is told through her diaries, his reminiscences, newspaper clippings, her letters, as she goes back and forth, tries to change her life around. It is beautiful, sad, tragic. It follows the the plot in some levels of the original eight, which was a scandal at the time. Uh, Flaubert was actually put on trial for obscenity because this has affairs and sexy stuff in it, but no awfulness. It is a just beautiful, beautiful work, uh, wonderfully written and illustrated. I don't know if you can really sort of get a uh, any kind of idea of what this kind of looks like on this picture. But beautifully, beautifully done in black and white, huge blocks of type. Uh, I picked this up for about $4 from a secondary seller. It was $19 at the time. It is absolutely brilliant. And that is by Posey Simmons. Posey Simmons. And uh, it was, what was it called again? Gemma. In the original novel, it's Emma Bovary. In this case, it's Gemma Bovary. All right. And again, $19.99. And that's actually the price, too, if you have to buy it new. All right. Well, thank you very much, Bob. Um, You're Steph welcome. Stephanie, I, I, we haven't heard from you in a long, long while. Yeah, right. Um, where have you been, huh? Oh, you know, around <laughs> and stuff. All right. Do you have any books of the week to speak about? I do. My absolute book of the week. I actually thought for this brief second that it was actually Bob's book because he, the the lead in you gave Bob for uh, Gemma Bovary was. I was going to be like, oh, my God, by some weird freak of nature, like, it's we have the same book of the week. But anyways, we'll get to that, and you'll understand in a second. But okay. I'm going to consult my list here. So I know this came out at the end of December, but and I think, Bobby, you mentioned it, um, but Aquaman 26 with uh, Jeff Parker. I hadn't read it until today. Finally got around to it, and I got to say I like it. Um, the art 
there's two artists, right? It's like Paul Peltier and Netho Diaz. I'm yes. not sure which one of them was the awful one. <laughs> one of them was terrible. It's uh, not Paul Pelletier, because Paul Pelletier is the regular artist. Okay. Well, the yeah. fill-in was awful. And I was like, I was like, I like this art. I like this art. And then I was like, no, I don't. What happened to their faces? Yeah. And then I realized that there was like a fill-in artist for a couple of the pages. And I was like, not good. Yeah, not, not good, good, no. Um, but the story itself, I'm really excited for it. I liked um, what he set up and interested to see where it continues to go. Um, and then I also got around to reading, uh, Saviors. So speaking of James Robinson, this is his book from Image with J-Bone. J-Bone. Um, yeah, so it's, it's kind of like a funny story. It's done in black and white, um, and it's, I'm like re reading my little notes here in my phone, which normally you can't see because, you know, <laughs> we're on air and not on air. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so it's like this guy, this guy named Thomas, They, he lives in a small town. He, he likes it because, you know, he can smoke pot all day and everybody just kind of lets him do his thing. Nobody cares that he's doing it and he just works and, you know, goes about his business and nobody bothers him. Anyways, so one day when he's smoking pot and he's high, he sees um, – he sees something. So basically what happens is um, he sees some people in the town um, or so he thinks he sees somebody in the town uh, turn to lizard people. All right. Um, All right. Yeah. But like he tries to tell people, he's like, man, these people, they turned into lizards. And obviously no one believes him because they leave him alone, but they also just know that he spokes pot and just kind of like, ah, whatever. And so nobody believes him. And he just kind of, it's like, oh, well, you'll see. And then shit hits the fan. So Is, does he do any other drugs or does he just smoke pot? Um, in the book, they just show him smoking pot. So and people think that he's hallucinating because he smokes pot. Okay, well, I'm not going to get into why that works or doesn't work. I'm just saying, yeah. it sounds like he lives in a town full of idiots, but oh well. All right, well, Captain Expert on Pot, let's like just <laughs> take a step back here. Ooh, me? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. He just sees things, okay? All right, I'll, I'll, go with it. I'll go with it. Read the book if you want to know. <laughs> I might have to. But anyways, shit hits the fan, and, um, you know, some things come to light. Um, I really enjoyed it. I'm interested to see where it goes. I know at Image Expo, uh, James Robinson, this was supposed to be a mini series. James Robinson announced that this would be an ongoing series, and I think different people were going to write it or something after the first arc, maybe, or draw it. Maybe. Anyways, so that's a book I read. Um, Let's see what else I got on my list. Oh, so another person who is at Image Expo, uh, Scene of the Crime by Ed Brubaker. Um, I believe it was originally uh, released by Vertigo, but now it's being re-released um, through Image. So um, I just got around to reading it, and 
it's like what Ed Brubaker does best, uh, crime stuff, right? Noirish kind of crime stuff. Uh, from what I can tell, the story takes place um, in modern times for the most part. They have like cell phones and stuff, but um, it's not something that really ever gets discussed. It's it's a murder mystery, and you know, there's PIs and all this kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if you've ever read anything Ed Brubaker. Like, I don't think I need a, a to tell you a lot more to sell you on it. It's a crime story, and it, it takes all kinds of twists and turns that are expected and both like unexpected at the same time. You know, like you can kind of see where parts of it are going, but the same, it's still such a good story that you are utterly and completely committed to it. Like you want to see it through till the end. Because there's still all this stuff behind the scenes, and um, there's lots of stuff with uh, the main character, and it, it's just a really great read. Uh, I don't know if it's been re-released through Image yet. Uh, I believe it was released in 2000 or 2002 originally, um, and so it's obviously still out there. Like it's not something that you won't be able to find even if the image version isn't out yet. Anyways, my actual book of the week, and you'll see now why your lead in confuzzled me, but it's mm. called the amazing screw on head and other curious <laughs> objects. So Bob, when you were like talking about how, I don't know what exactly you said, but you started talking about like screws and stuff. And I was like, oh, somehow he knows. <laughs> and, yeah. So this is um a Hellboy book. Well, it's not Hellboy. It's Mike Mignola, though. So um, it's, it's a beautiful hardcover edition from Dark Horse, which we've been talking lots about lately. And it's this fantastic, fantastic short story about a character called the Screw-On Head. So, um, Abraham Lincoln's in this. And As he should be. Yeah. Whoa. And, um, you know, the world's being threatened, and the only person who can save the world is the amazing Screw-On Head. So Abe Lincoln sends for the amazing Screw-On Head. That's him. And... Um, he sends him on a mission to save the day. Um, it's fantastic. It's just like, it's fun, full of fun dialogue and, you know, words like curses, but with like fist shakes and all kinds of... Is there any in there? Maybe. I don't know. But there's... a um, or two, I hope. The villain is, what's his name? Oh, he's the Emperor Zombie. So you know it's good when there's Emperor Zombies. He used to be like a genius professor, but, you know, they should always cremate the bodies of geniuses because otherwise then they come back as zombies. Emperor Zombies? Whoa! That was something they said in the book. Sort of. I paraphrased. Because I'm not, you know, a writer of things. So, it's this great story. And, um... The second part of the book is the other curious objects part. And it's just a series of short stories, 
again, all illustrated and written by Mike Mignola, with the exception of um, one story called The Magician and the Snake, which is written by Mike Mignola and his seven-year-old daughter, Katie Mignola. Oh. So, yeah, so he talks about it in the back of the book, how the idea came up and, you know, how it all came around, but she told him about like this idea she had on her way home from school and Mike Mignola decided to write it all down and turn it into a story. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. There's a bunch of like story notes and, um, you know, other cool things like the sketches that are included in the book as well. Um, I wonder if the zombie emperor's in here. Or Emperor Zombie, probably. You know, all your talk about the the Hellboy and the Midnight Circus has really made me want to dive into uh oh my God. stuff. It's so good. I'm like addicted. Um but like apparently like a ton of these stories won Eisner's for um like the Amazing Screw on had won the two thousand and three Eisner for best humor humor publication. And um I think yeah, and um, him, his story that he did with his daughter won the 2003 Eisner for best short story. So she might be the youngest recipi recipient of an Eisner. Ooh. Mm hmm. That's pretty cool. Um, but if you're familiar with Mike Mignola's art, it's all done in his style. Uh, and it's beautiful. It's a great little hardcover, again, from Dark Horse with all kinds of extras. And it's great. I am so immersed in this world right now, and I can't say enough good things about the stuff that Mike Mignola is putting out, and in this case, Katie Mignola as well. Um, please go pick it up and check it out. I think this is like a beautiful hardcover that comes with like a bunch of different stories, and it's great art, all these extras, and for this, it's only $17.99. So, I mean, Dark Horse does a great job of putting these together, and... Um, I highly recommend it. And that's my book of the week. Awesome. Steve has picked up Bandit. Oh, yeah. Yes, I have. I had a, I guess, a listener question, a personal listener question. I got an email. They're called emails these days. <laughs> I got an email of uh, a, a listener who was asking me about, I was actually, it was. Um, I just remembered, it was Adam Estep. Uh, he was asking about books for his daughter to recommend for his daughter and i was trying to express to him that it's important when choosing uh you know comics and stuff um particularly for for young women that you kind of want to have like a good balance between you know thinking what they can read and then what they actually can read and i i suggested something like bandette that a strong female character, but the the book's got a little bit of sophistication to it. It's got lots of wacky antics, but then it's also got, um, you know, with the foreign language stuff, it's got a bit, a bit of a maturity to it in a way. And uh, I absolutely loved Bandit. I would recommend it to anyone who happens to pick it up. It's wonderful. Bobby looks like he wants to say something. Am I back? Am I good now, guys? Am I back? Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. you disappeared. It was we really missed funny you. Because it didn't freeze for me at all. And like oh. the thing kept switching back to me when I was talking. 
but you guys couldn't hear a word I was saying. So you didn't um, pop up on the screen either. So you were I'm, moving the whole time for me. Yeah. Yeah. So I was recording on my end and being like saying stuff, and you guys can't hear me. So there's a lot of funny moments where I'm like, "Hey guys, how you, and you guys don't listen to me." We're like, "Nah." <laughs> Who cares? I think I figured it Why out. Why should today be different than any other day? I know, exactly. <laughs> Most of them I pretend I'm not there. Um, but I figured it out, so we're, we're all good. Um, Stephanie, do you have any other books? No. I, I basically wanted to save all my time for the amazing screw-on head. All right. Oh, yeah, and he, the best part, he's a screw-on head. He just hops around, and then he just <laughs> takes bodies because they're replaceable because you can just screw his head onto bodies. <laughs> And if you were asking, you asked before why I was laughing at you, it was because now we can actually see the way that you act when you're trying to get sentences out. That's why, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a thing I do. Yeah. All right. So um, I will, I guess, finish off the segment now that I'm back and ready to do this. Yeah. Uh, first of all, Daredevil number 35, uh, Wowzer. What what? Uh, the the end of the book definitely sets up why they're going to need to move Matt uh away from New York by the time uh the new Daredevil number one hits in the spring. The end of this book is is crazy. I mean the whole book is great and you know deals with the Serpent Society really closing in on Matt and thinking they have him they they have him dead to rights, basically, that they've caught him in an unwinnable situation. And Matt is having a really hard time figuring out, you know, why that is, you know, how to get out of it. And he turns to Electra to to help him, you know, figure it out. And the way that that ends up and the way that it that it works out is just is really fantastic. And and I mean, the, the book is usually fantastic, but it, it's been especially great um, it, leading up to this ending. And uh, Steve, I don't know. I know you read it. What did you, what did you think of it? Well, I mean, it, it was ridiculously good. I, <laughs> I knew that I knew that you'd be talking about it, so I, I didn't bring it up. But I mean, damn, it's uh, I can't I can't compare it to something because it'll give it'll give away the end. But it's such a like an oh shit kind of moment. Like you like you jump off the couch and you're like, oh no, he didn't. Like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I am super excited for the future of Daredevil, particularly if Wade and Samney are going to continue. I definitely see now uh, why they might have wanted to step away from it and why the, I guess, the cover or the, the solicits for the final issue show Matt, you know, with all of his stuff mm-hmm. packed up and looking to, to move elsewhere. There's definitely circumstances and things going on that is, is going to make that a necessary uh, form of action but I think it's kind of cool that they're taking a little bit of a break because for me it means that they can step away and they can really plan what they're going to do with this new direction for him and uh, it basically it, it instilled confidence in the idea of this team returning with the character on the title and I will wait patiently to see you know what happens next for for Matt and Foggy and and everyone involved. Just, you know, a stellar run from 1 to 35 to 36, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. I just, I I say it again and again every time we bring it up, I never would have imagined 
being such a huge fan of Wade's Daredevil until I started reading it. And once I started reading it, I just, I have not looked back. Uh, it's fantastic. I, I really can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, it, it was really great. And it's been, uh, it, it's been fascinating to see where he's taking the character and how he's rolled threat into threat. And when it, the Serpent Society first started, I thought it was going to be a very minimal, very one-off or two-issue threat. And he's really turned it into a, a, you know, the biggest threat to Matt's safety that uh, we've seen probably so far in the run, which I think is really impressive. Yeah. So, um, yeah, really, really great. Looking forward to seeing the finale of that series. Uh, next up, A Night of the Living Deadpool, number one. Oh, I didn't get uh, to pick that up. How was that? Uh, written by Colin Bunn, art by uh, Ramon Rosanas. And it was, it was awesome. It was really funny. There, there's a really clever thing to do where in the zombie kind of present for Deadpool, he's still in color and everything else is in black and white. <laughs> and, and then all the flashbacks are in full color. And there's a really funny sequence of events that he wakes up in a Mexican restaurant and after eating, after basically going to a food coma after eating too many chimichangas and he wakes up and the, the apocalypse has happened. And the, the, the family that owns the Mexican restaurant locked him in because he said he was, that he eats so many chimichangas. He was a great customer, so they decided to save his life. Um, <laughs> and then he goes out and he talks about, you know, how could this happen so quickly? There weren't signs. And then you keep seeing all these flashbacks to all these obvious signs, you know, that, that things were going wrong and things were happening. Uh, and it's really clever, really smart, uh, really, really funny. And it, it continues this really good run of Colin Bunn uh, on these Deadpool uh, minis. Uh, I have two questions for you, actually. Yeah. Uh, how many issues is the Night of the Living Deadpool going to be? Uh, I don't think it has a number, but I'm guessing th- probably three. Okay. Three or four. I think that's usually what he does on these things. And how was uh, – did you read Deadpool Illustrated? I did, yeah. How was that? Deadpool Illustrated is really, really good. Uh, Deadpool – so it was uh, there's Deadpool Kills the Marvel Universe, which is the first one he did. Yeah. Deadpool Illustrated, Deadpool Kills Deadpool, and now this one. Um. And they're all really funny and really, really well done. I think I might have to pick those up. I really enjoy uh, Colin Bunn's take on the character. Yeah, if you like the Deadpool kills Deadpool stuff, you'll really like the other ones as well. Oh, I loved, I loved Deadpool kills Deadpool. That was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, Illustrated is cool because Illustrated he goes into all these really famous, you know, works of literature. Yeah, Tom Sawyer and Ahab and all that stuff. Yeah, all that stuff, and, and you know, messes with their worlds as well because it's all, all about this crusade of his to kind of destroy all of the, the literary universes so we can find the person who's writing him as a character because right. he becomes self-aware, you know, he's a character. And nice. so, yeah, it's really good. And it's really funny. And uh, Night of the Living Deadpool is, is similar. So really good stuff. Um, uh, next up for me, uh, Justice League of America, number 11, which is another Forever Evil tie-in. Uh, Matt Kent is on writing duties and Eddie Barrows is the artist. And... I have to say, since they started this Forever Evil run on in, on GLA, and coincided with Kent taking over the book, uh, all, you know, all uh, full stop when he's just doing the backups before, the storyline of Star Girl and Ma- Martian Manhunter has really been pretty fantastic. Um, learning about who Star Girl is, where she came from, what her kind of personal tragedy is. And the like, and just getting to know her as a character has been really awesome. And 
I, I will say that I, I was thinking about this today. I think that between this and Justice League and um, Forever Evil, the main book, you know, I, I've been loving every single thing that, that comes out of it, and JLA especially, just because it's really managed to focus down on a character who I knew nothing about and who now uh, I'm really excited to see going forward. Hmm. <clears throat> and yeah, so it, it's been just really great. And I, I think Forever Evil stuff in general has been awesome. Yeah, I actually, uh, in my my going back and reading Animal Man, I was going through my DC boxes, and I pulled out all of the Justice League, Justice League of America, and Justice League Dark issues that I haven't been keeping up with, and I made a pile. I have no idea what order to read them in, <laughs> but I'm going to, that's after Thor, God of Thunder, that's my next project. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I think JLA and Justice League have been very good, but JLA especially has, has really done it for me. Uh, it's interesting because it's going to be ending, right? Uh, and that's the, the Lemire book, which used to be called Justice League of Canada, is now going to be called Justice League United. And it's ah. going to have Adam Uh-oh. Strange and nice. Stargirl and uh, Buddy, uh, Buddy Baker, Animal Man, and Green Arrow and stuff like that all in it. So I'm interested to see what, what that's like now going forward. But uh, my, my final book of the week, and it's a book I almost didn't pick up uh, because of the price tag. And if it hadn't been for... Actually, uh, you know, Rob uh, kind of telling me I, I should read it because I've been talking about it since they announced it is I picked up Miracle Man number one, um, which is a reprint, obviously, of older material uh, by original writer with art <laughs> by Gary Leach. Uh, the original writer, is there, people don't know, is Alan Moore, but he didn't want his name on it because, you know, he's a grumpy pants, so he didn't want it. <laughs> uh, he's Captain Grumpy Pants. Um and it's five ninety nine, so it 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 is a it's a expensive book. But what's interesting is that the first story is a um, old Miracle Man story. Uh, I'm not sure of the date uh, where where when it was first published. I guess 1956. I guess if that if that sounds at all right about when that this book was around. Sure. Um, it's original art and original writing uh, by Mick Angelo. Anglo, I guess is his name, and it, it, you know it's a very it's it's a lot like and obviously Bob has said this before it's like identical to Captain Marvel, uh, in its um in almost with its origin except it's a science version of Captain Marvel mm-hmm. where he says atomic backwards instead of saying Shazam to become this all powerful being, and he has a two sidekicks one who is young Miracle Man, and one who is kid Miracle Man. Uh, and they both have to say Miracle Man to become their um, their their version. So there's obviously a lot of similarities there. So that's kind of our prologue. We had to see him in action, and then it um, fast forwards to well, one of the interesting things about it is that it, it's the, this first story is a story about people coming from the far flung future of 1981 to come back and take over 1956 with their you know, ray guns and spaceships and crazy advanced technology. And, and, yeah. And then one of the reasons they did it was because the first story we hear see from Alan Moore is from 1982. So they try, I think that they're kind of, they're showing you, you know, the actual versus the expected in those mm-hmm. times. But it also serves to give you a primer on who Miracle Man is, because when we pick up with Miracle Man 1982, um, Miracle, he's the man who is Miracle Man does not remember who he is. He has these horrible bad dreams about this thing that happened to him 
that took away his power. But he, he, you know, they're just dreams to him. And this issue is is how his powers reemerge, and, and what that means. And in typical Alan Moore fashion, it's richly, beautifully written. And you know, just as easy to read today as it was, you know, when it was published um, then. It's a, it's a cool story and one that I think I'm going to keep up with as long as my, my uh, wallet will allow it uh, on each poll list. But the really impressive thing about this and what kind of gives it the, the 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 extra bump as far as, as price goes is there is a ton of supplemental material on the back of it. Um, interviews and history lessons and reprints of old Marvel Man issues from, from way, way back. You know, uh, so there's a ton, a ton of content here to read. And it was just really interesting to see a peek into kind of a, a character and a long gestating story that I knew nothing about and, and almost be getting a living history lesson uh, while I was reading it. <laughs> um, I mean, Bob, you can obviously probably speak to it a little bit about this whole thing. Well, where you begin is DC suing Ford and Marvel being a copy of Superman. Mm-hmm. And that suit went on for years, really hot and heavy, though it had begun way, way back, almost the very beginning of Captain Marvel. And when Fawcett decided to fold Captain Marvel entirely, the British published stories to run, and they just renamed them and turned them into Miracle Man. So the first few issues were actually just Captain Marvel with his emblem change and some of the dialogue balloons changes, what my understanding is. Mm-hmm. which was actually Marvel Man, which they got away with for quite some time. Yeah. And then ran for, we're saying 82 was the new version, so from 55 all the way through. Was there was there Miracle Man in between or Marvel Man in between, do you know? You know, I don't know. that there. That I don't think that's covered in the, in the bit of history that I, that I, I have here. Um, so I don't know if it runs all the way through, but obviously they, they talk about the lawsuits and everything that happened um throughout the entire thing uh so but i don't know if if it ran all the way through until that day i didn't do okay. the research on that. I don't, yeah i'm pretty sure it ran a while i'm not sure how long that was mm. pretty yeah, amazing was, a little bit of comics <laughs> weirdness yeah it was great it was really really great um so i i, I encourage people to check it out if, if they can I'm pumped, man. I um I have that sitting in the pile. I didn't get to it because I, I opened it up and I saw it looked very involved. Yeah. When I opened it up with all the supplemental materials in the back and then with like I it felt obviously it's a reprint, so it felt really old school. And I didn't know I wasn't in the right frame of mind to jump into it because I felt like I was kind of jumping back into something. Mm-hmm. But now you've got me really curious. I'm excited to <laughs> And the the Gary Leach art from the Alan Moore stuff is is really gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous art. I mean, I can show it on here so they you guys can see it, but uh, if people are watching on YouTube or something, they can see it too. But it's it's really beautiful stuff, and it's funny to compare it that Miracle Man to when you look at the you know the 1956, yeah, Miracle Man, yeah. which is which is really you know you know very of the, of that era. So mm-hmm. it's very very different, but. Very, very cool book and interesting to to check out. And I recommend people, if they're interested in that history of that character and a cool little bit of comic book uh, trivia, that they, they definitely definitely look at that. Um, this is normally where we take a break. However, I don't think we're going to have too many questions to talk about, so I think we're just going to run right through into the, into the, into the questions because we're going to make this a little bit of a shorter show. So, um, 
and I want to give Stephanie the chance to to talk again because she just sits there silently while the rest of us talk, staring. I know. I'm just like staring into the abyss. Yeah. <laughs> no staring. I gotta get a coffee. <laughs> I I I was I was like laughing because I saw Karen. I was gonna be like, hey! but then she can't hear me. So you no. know. And then her butt was just there. Yeah. Her, her, my fiance background. made a little made a little cameo. Her butt did. Of of our podcast. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so let's let's uh, ask do some listener questions here. I hopped on uh, Twitter and Facebook today and asked people. To, Hit the forums up uh, if you guys haven't checked it out yet. Um, if you go to talking comic, talkingcomicbooks.com, there's a forum link there. Or you can go directly to talkingcomics.freeforums.net uh, as well to check that out. Um, but uh, we had one from Joe State here. It says, with the current Marvel Now titles coming out, how are you going to decide how many titles to try before you drop the title? I'm personally very underwhelmed with the all-new X Factor, but I love Peter David's writing on the previous run so much that it will give it more time solely based on his merit. Do you guys have a typical rule of thumb, or do you just feel it out? Stephanie, what about you? Um, I pretty well have the exact same feelings as you about um, the X Factor. Like, I wasn't impressed with the first issue, which is something I was going to talk to Bob about last week before I had to run. Um, but I am willing to give it more of a chance because, you know, again, after Bob had hooked me on it, I was, well, I was hooked. So... <laughs> Their first issues are like pilots of TV shows, right? Like, it's not always a good indicator of what the series is going to be like, so it's hard to drop a title or say you're going to continue with it just from the one issue. Um, chances are, if it's not like a complete, you know, waste of my life, then I'm going to, like, read it for at least two or three issues and just kind of see where it goes. Um, I think a good indicator of whether it's something I want to stick with or not is, you know, whether I'm excited next month to pick it up. Like, if it stays in my mind that, oh, my God, what happened in that issue or what's going on? You know, like, I, I want to be excited for it. And if there's not if, – if, if it's just another book that I feel like I need to read, you know, to be caught up or to be able to talk about it with you guys – then, I mean, like, it's not fun for me, you know? Like, I want to be able to enjoy the book and not feel like it's homework. Hmm. Absolutely. So. You know, I, I'm not completely agog over X. Rest of the supporting cast, I want to see how that plays itself out. And that will help the interaction or a Peter David feel to it. I'll go I'll go half dozen with that before making a decision unless as you say it's a total bomb. Hmm. Uh I went that far with Captain America which I didn't think I would. I kept hoping and hoping, you know, writer whose work I have liked before, a character I love, I'll try it on something brand new, a character I don't know. I'm not as forgiving. You have to you have to hook me. Yeah. Why do I want to come back? As Stephanie says, I don't want this to turn into my second job. Mm -hmm. I want it to be fun. Uh-oh.
our internet went a little screwy. Um, and we are back to talk about uh, and resume our talk about underwhelming titles and how long we stay with them. Steve, wh- where do you stand? Well, uh, in regard to the Marvel Now stuff, or even just... Yeah, I'm going to keep it to the Marvel Now stuff because other other new titles is always up to question. But um, I am at least going to give each of the new titles a number one and see if, uh, you know... They impress me. I enjoy them. Uh, some some of them I'm, I'm more so for than others. But in regard to how long I stay on, um, I, I try to stay on beyond the first issue because, like Stephanie said, it's kind of like a, a pilot episode to a television show. Um, I feel like uh, David um, Peter David's X Factor is a good uh, example of that because I don't I don't feel like I feel like we got half a book. Or ha- half of an introduction with that number one. So I'm at least willing to give it until a number two to see if it gets off on the right foot and, and you know, captures my interest. But as far as how long to stay on, it's you stay on until you're no longer interested. You know, I, um, I have a tendency to stay on things regardless of whether I'm reading them or not. My backlog of comics is pretty immense. So... Um, yeah, I mean, with all the titles starting over again, my curiosity will win out that I, that each title will at least, you know, garner uh, at least probably three issues, uh, unless something really turns me off and and I'm and I'm not interested. Um, Black Widow was one of those ones that I was, I, I had to read it like three times to really really feel comfortable with it. Uh, so, but once, once I did, I, I mean, not the art, I'm talking about the writing. Mm. Um, but once I, once I, I fell into it and kind of realized what it was, uh, for me, it has me looking forward to another issue, which is coming out today. So, uh, really looking forward to that, but yeah, just, uh, it's a matter of interest. It's, you know, things are always coming and going, something ends, something starts. So. Yeah, I, I think what you, he said about feeling it out, I think, is the way that I kind yeah. of handle it and deal with it. If if it's something that I'm really excited about week to week, I will definitely keep picking it up. If it's yeah. something that, you know, when it gets read out or I, I think about it and it's, yeah. Mm, yeah, I should, if I say to myself, like, oh, I should read that yeah. or or something like that, I tend to start thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't be getting it. If I'm only getting it because I feel like I should be reading yeah. it, not that I'm enjoying it, I start to back off from it. You know, something yeah, like uh, Peter David's X Factor, because I believe in him as a as a writer, I'm more likely to stay on uh, that. But um, I wait a couple issues. You wait a couple issues, but it generally happens that it, once I realize I'm just stocking them away to possibly read another time. Yeah. I start thinking I could be saving this money now, and then just if I really want to read it later on, I'll yeah. just buy the I'll just buy the trade, and I'll save a little bit of money. Yeah. Um, so for me, it just goes by really by feeling about when I feel like I, I, I'm I'm done, and then yeah. when I when I know that, then I'll stop. I mean, I I it's it's kind of sucks because I I often run into a problem where if I stop reading something or I stop collecting something, I like just randomly decide to cut that title that that week because there's just so much else on on the table that I find that I rarely end up going back to that title, mm. or if I tell myself. Uh, oh, I'll get the trade, but I've already invested in about two to three issues worth of the comic, but I know the trade's coming. 
I just, I just end up getting the rest of the run. Even, you know, like I, I find it very hard to stop in the middle. Right. You know, I kind of like to see the story through. I like to, if nothing else, I give something an arc. I like it, it, I feel more comfortable leaving something once the events that I'm currently involved in have wrapped up. If it wraps up and then leads into something else I'm interested in, I'll continue. But if I feel like that was enough, uh, I usually stop. That's what happened with um, Cable and X-Force. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was really, really, really enjoying it for about three arcs. And then this current arc, which is set, it's the last one. I've I've lost my steam for it and I haven't I haven't picked up the last two issues. Yeah. So Yeah, it's it's again it's always a balancing act on, yeah. uh, on what on what you're going to do with that stuff. Um this one's from uh, Captain Saxon and he wants to know basically our opinions on um censoring censoring curse words in uh comics, you know, specifically, you know, the the symbols, you know, like the exclamation point, dollar sign, at symbol thing. Or like shit or, or fuck or whatever do would we rather it th- them change it to another word or do it take us out of the story what do we feel about those censorship little moments uh stephanie um they don't really bother me i mean i think to kind of i don't know obviously i swear uh i do it a lot like when we podcast huh. um but I don't know. I think it kind of like sometimes I get like tense when I'm reading a book and it just like blatantly swears. So sometimes I think it remains unless it's like a really serious book, like it's meant to be a mature book right off the bat. I don't know. I can't think of something as a good example right now. Maybe like scene of the crime, like the Ed Brubaker book I was reading earlier. Grant Morris is happy. Yeah. Like unless it's like already something that most like people under a certain age definitely wouldn't pick up. Like, I don't see the point in bleeping it out, but like obviously for like Marvel or DC books and even image, I think it's good because they're, they're a lot more accessible and they're in a lot of shops and, you know, people can pick those up and I don't know, like, I think it's almost funnier when things are beeped out too, not funnier necessarily, but like Hawkeye, you know, they'll beep out words and it's funny. It's like when you, I don't know what TV show it was, but like sometimes they'll have like a character and it's like Arrested Development or something and every other word will be beeped out and you know what they're saying, but it's funnier because they're not saying it and like it's just being beeped out. I don't know. I don't know. It just, it works. It depends on the book. I think editors use their discretion to kind of put in those swear words or don't um, and make the best decisions possible for that book and if it works or not, or if it's, it, it makes the book more mature. I don't know. I don't know if I'm even making any sense at all. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. Bob, so. what, what about you? In mainstream books, I prefer not even the string of wallaxes, I guess you'd call it when you do it that way. You put the at sign and number signs and whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, it, it, you'll make up a word and stick it in there anyway, which could be worse than even what was intended by the writer. There's a way around that you could just say darn and move on with that. If if you're writing an ultra-violent book, you're writing something that's definitely teens plus, 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 sort of say what you want, I guess. When those were showing up in Dynamite's Miss Fury and they were the real words, 
there was no getting around, even if you would put symbols in it, what those words were based on the context. Mm-hmm. So, it, again, just as Stephanie's saying, it depends on what book and for what audience it's intended. If it's going to be something you're going to pick up on the newsstand, seeing that string of symbols, not so good either. So there's got to be another way around that. But what the heck? You're shooting someone in the face with a shotgun. You can, you know, say what you want, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think it, a lot of it has to do with the, the, the tone of, of the book, right? I mean, for me, uh, a publisher like Marvel and DC, they shouldn't, I don't think they should have, um, you know, uh, cursing in, in their mainstream titles. There's no reason to. Uh, but I think even you, for my my issue is using the censorship stuff in a comedy, I think works very well. You know, in Deadpool or Hawkeye or somewhere mm-hmm. is trying to be funny or doing it for comedic effect. Um, or, you know, it's very... Um, arch or very pulpy or, or something, you know, something that, something that's uh, meant to be a very hyper stylized type of environment. I think it works because I think it, it's part of that. But when you're doing a serious book and you have a, a blanked out curse, to me, it makes me want to laugh at, at what's going on. Not that it's some sort of like affecting thing. So mm-hmm. I would rather in those situations, them just come up with another word for what they're going to put there. Cause I, I don't think that, I think it loses the effect of using the 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 you know uh, the the curse word there by doing that um, in any sort of meaningful way so what's why not just change it out that's my opinion on it sure look all through the seventies you know Luke Cage was screaming out sweet sister and holy Christmas and all these other things mm-hmm. worked fine you right. knew he was actually cussing but you didn't have to see it there mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah so who knows right so um, uh, Steve what about you uh, I'm going to go, it's funny, my, my answer is kind of like an amalgamation of all of your opinions. I, I do think that it depends on the title. I've found, it's funny, I, I, when, when I first started reading comics, hardcore, when we started doing this, it took me a long time to get used to the, the bleeped out curses in comics. I was actually kind of surprised that they were even there to begin with. Um, and then I started to see them show up more and more over the past two years. Like you have you have bleeped out stuff in X-Men now, like uncanny X-Men they're They're everywhere. Um, I like Bobby said, I think for comedy, it it works. Like when I see it in the superior foes of Spider-Man, I laugh when I see it in Hawkeye, I laugh or instead of the word fucking, they have the word futzing, you know, coming up with their own little twists on the words. I, I think for comedy that, that, that makes it funnier. Um, Mm. But then there are also times where I like to kind of get creative and try to see if I can get inside the character's head and like decide what curse word they would use for that instance. It's kind of like a little game for me sometimes. Um, but I believe in in more mature titles, in like graphic novels and stuff that's released as is, that it's it's unnecessary and you don't need it. I think if somebody's going to go for like a gritty crime drama or, you know, a hardcore action revenge story or something like that. Um, to put that kind of stuff in for hard-boiled characters doesn't make a whole lot of sense. That if you're going to go for that mature label, you you got you to gotta roll with it and you got to deliver. Um, that said, I don't necessarily like a lot of excessive cursing in my comics. I've come across, you know, two or three titles in the past 
that uh, have kind of turned me off because there there had been so much cursing uh, in them, and I actually stopped reading them for that reason. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it, it it varies from book to book. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It's a matter of how how much can you handle, and how much can you fill in the blank, and also who's saying it. You know, yeah. I think personally, I think it would be hysterical. If just one time, and Bob might really disagree with me with this, if like probably will, Captain America is like standing on the helicarrier, and he's like in that bay window, and he just goes shit, and the whole like the whole back line of characters, Black Widow and Luke Cage and everybody, just that wide eye, like, <gasps> and he's like, what? You guys say all the time. I could say it just this once. I would I would laugh at that, but then I would want to move on. So that's where I stand on cursing. Sorry. Right. It's a very specific stance on cursing. I, well, we, well, while we were talking about it, I, it kind of, it, it formed in my head and it made me chuckle. I thought mm-hmm. I'd share it with everybody. So. I mean, an example of when it's pretty awesome, right, is in, we were talked about, you've talked about Next Wave a couple of times here, but they, oh, use, yeah. it a, they use it a bunch in Next Wave. Um, and that is really, really cool. And, and I love it because they use the same kind of like the, the, the skulls and the crossbones every time they curse. But it nice. will mean different things every time they every time they use it. So there are times where it means fuck, times where it means shit. You know, so it's it's a really uh, funny funny. I, was it color coded? No. no, I feel like ninety percent of everything the captain says though is completely beeped out. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's all context. You have to, you have to go look, read the context of what else they're saying around it, and that's how you kind of intonate what they're saying. And then there's uh, some things that like are clearly just made up swear words too that they've beeped yeah. out or whatever, but. It works and it's hilarious. Yeah, it's it's really really good. That's actually a perfect example of a comic that you know has swearing and makes it work with the censorship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's lots of that in the Ecstatics Omnibus that I'm reading with X Factor and Dupe and Wolverine. There's lots of it there, and for that, it works because mm-hmm. it's it's comedy and it's weird and it's bizarre and the personalities of the characters that's that's them like they're it's a reality television show they're just living their lives while being superheroes and we're watching them all the time they're they're gonna let out a cuss word or two every now and again if the situation calls for it you know all right um another question here from uh, w johnson 22 uh on the forum he says i don't know if, if you have answered this before but here goes when it comes to a comic with low sales numbers like the movement does buying that comic digitally have the same impact as buying a physical copy to help keep the title alive? Um, I mean, I, I, I would imagine that they're looking at all of those numbers. And I think you can m- maybe point to some titles sticking around longer than expected, that, you know, with from their diamond numbers, maybe because of stuff like this, because they're selling a lot better digitally. I don't know, Stephanie, what do you think? I think that it... Definitely. I mean, I think the digital numbers may actually contribute more because there's not the cost of printing the book, um, you know, distributing it and all those other things. So the digital sales almost, you know, completely go to, well, for instance, with the case of the movement, D.C. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I feel like the digital sales probably make a huge difference. And, you know, if something's doing really well online, but maybe not doing so well in the stores it could also help you know that maybe the title will continue maybe they'll move it to a digital only 
and at least it still lives as opposed to just getting canceled altogether. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. And I think especially DC, who has really focused down um, since the beginning, since they relaunched New 52 with the, this day one digital and, and kind of focusing on uh, making their books available very easily. And now obviously all the publishers have gotten on board with, with, mm-hmm. with that with that as well. But I feel like they are probably with a whole division dedicated just to that side of, of their business. I'm sure they're looking at, well, at those sales numbers. And I mean, I feel like DC is really testing the waters right now with digital. They're releasing, like you said, they're releasing a lot of things initially, like, um, what was it? The Justice League or uh, Injustice, right? Injustice, yeah. So they released that digitally. And I know the Vampire Diary series that they started, um, it uh, started like digitally. They released the first few issues or prequel issues uh, digitally. And it kind of seems like they're seeing how people react and how the numbers do. And, you know, it, it really would be a great way for them to carry on titles that don't sell as well in stores. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> Steve, what do you think? Looking at myself and I think my place is a mess. Um, <laughs> now, what do I think of, of how digital uh, affects sales? Yeah, well, do you think the publishers are looking at the digital sales uh, as equally as they look kind of at the diamond sales, just to maybe about keeping a book alive? I would really hope so. I mean, I think that's that's more of an industry question. Like, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't have the information as to whether or not they do that, but I would say that I would hope so because, you know, people read comics and in. different ways these days and there are people like we we've talked about it before people that can't make it to a local comic shop who buy strictly online i would hope that the you know the the voting with their dollars would count as well Mm -hmm. um i would actually be really curious to find out if there's a separation between uh physical and digital uh especially in the the numbers that we read off uh once oh they're absolutely those numbers have no digital in them at all they don't no they have none diamond doesn't track the digital stuff those are those are wow. from diamond those numbers so yeah we don't know i so mean what, okay so all right yeah. so the question is whether or not they that the digital numbers weigh into whether or not they're going to continue um mm, i don't know because then you're talking about you know the the cost of printing versus the cost of just putting it up digitally that gets into some uh shady shady territory i mean i i think that we don't know because they they won't release those numbers ever because they don't have to yeah there's no third party anymore to to track that stuff i mean bob we've seen the movement selling very very little copies print wise but yet we haven't got any right we haven't heard about it going away yet right officially no nothing there it's still in the april solicitations so they're already up to issue 11 so still in their pitching now early on was doing lots of demographic studies after the first six months or so of the new 52 as to readers, old readers, ages, gender, the rest of it. So they're obviously very invested into what these numbers mean to them. So I'm, I'm sure, as Stephanie says, it has to have a, a, a much larger impact than we're giving it any credit for, more than likely. There's someone sitting at a desk going, well, we had 6,000 downloads at a cost that was only one-tenth of what it was to print the books well then we can keep it going yeah absolutely i 
I'd actually be really interested to see, and this isn't, you know, this is just kind of speaking on the sales uh, numbers, but I'd be interested to see uh, now that Comixology doesn't have um, the 12 days of Christmas stuff going on the next time we do our sales to compare the Comixology top sales comics um, to the list of printed ones. Absolutely. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. We, we should definitely do that. Um, again, it's always tough with Comixology because then you have to do a little bit of research because a lot of times you have books very high that are selling for a very small you know, no, no amount of money. There are a lot of 99 cent books, a lot of free books, which is one of the best things about digital because they, they have a, a flexed pricing model whenever they want to do whatever they want to do. But yeah, we should definitely compare those two things when we get to it. Um, here's another post on the forum. Uh, this is um, this is from uh, Joe Tremonti, who is a, a frequent uh, commenter and participator with us. Um, and he wanted to talk about, he's a quick question about some thoughts uh, and some thoughts on the all new ultimate super fantastic Marvel Now universe. Um, Remember last week we talked a little bit about the relaunched Ultimate Universe and the books they were putting out. And he said, I want to get everyone's thoughts on the new Ultimates launch. Something about this I really loved and thought might get lost in the wash was the fact they were getting the core superhero team of the universe to include two African-American males and three females with not a white dude in sight. <laughs> um, so uh, an entire universe uh, where the lead character is an African-American male on a predominantly female team that isn't the young, mighty, or school. Holy crap, this smells like progress um he says um he says i will do lunges for stephanie i will eat cheesecake for bob and talk about how much i love canada uh until like steve until this launches um <laughs> he wants our thoughts on on what we think about this new dynamic in, in this team in this ultimate team that's coming out from the ultimate universe bob what, what, what do you think about this well as we were talking last week a relaunch universe now begins to put that ultimate right back where idea a place with no particular old continuity you can begin again it's all whatever you want with the with brand new characters with a history only because they have a name so there's some emotional attachment to i like the avengers but they can be any avengers you want it's a brilliant idea and i hope they actually will continue to do that through the rest of the Watch of the line if they do new X-Men or Fantastic Four, or whatever they're going to do, keep it up. Yeah, I mean, Stephanie, wh what do you think? And this is just like in regards to the new team that was not like, there's no white people in it, right? Is that? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yes. It's okay. um, the, they're relaunching the Ultimates in the Ultimate Universe, um, and like you said, it, there, there's not a white dude to be found. I think it's awesome. Like it does sound like progress to me. Um, I don't really know much about the news itself. That's why I'm going to repeat it. But um, like, it's great. It's progress. Hopefully, it'll be good. Uh, but I mean, it's one of those things where I wouldn't count the chickens until they've hatched, kind of thing. Because I mean, I was so excited for the women X Men, and for me, that really let me down. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still great that it's out there. It's still great that it was a thing that they tried and are trying but at the same time to me it failed at its goal to you know be a superhero book that just happened to have women in it it turned into like a superhero team that was run by catty women mm -hmm. and like i don't know i i'm i feel like skeptical about these progressive books that they're trying to do like I recognize that they're doing a good thing and I love it and I want them to keep trying until they get it right but 
and, and I'll hope for the best, but I just like have that little bit of, mm, when it comes to anything that's, you know, different, I guess now. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Absolutely. Absolutely fair. Absolutely fair. Um, Steve, you have a reaction? Yeah, I, uh, I gotta say, I really am weighing in with Stephanie on this one. Um, I'm always a little trepidatious when these, these books come out just because we've seen what books that have this kind of, you know, progression in them that they don't always take off. Um, you know, you look at, uh, titles like the movement or mighty Avengers that they have these, these mixed teams that they're doing all right. They're hanging on, but they're not books that are like on the lips of every comic reader. Not everyone's talking about them. Um, I feel as much as they should be. Uh, I mean, Bob speaks very highly of mighty Avengers. I absolutely love the movement. And I think the movement is doing some really important things. Um, I think it's important that these books come out, but I think it's more important that they're good and that people buy them because they keep taking, you know, quote unquote risks like this with having these books that are comprised of these teams that don't have, you know, your, your regular or Caucasian uh, superheroes in them, but people have got to support them and the writers that are writing them have got to, just make sure that they're on point and and don't don't focus so much on it being about having a mixed team as opposed to it just being another really awesome comic book. If mm-hmm. you treat it like that, it'll it'll stand a really good chance. I mean, be be proud of it and be be happy for it that it has that those other things going for it, but first and foremost, it has to be an awesome book before it's about anything else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ring on this too. Uh, for those of you who maybe listened to uh, Fat Man on Batman, the Kevin Smith Batman podcast, you might have heard this uh, from this past week. But uh, he had a guest um, named Mark Tyler Nobleman on who wrote a book uh, called Bill the Boy Wonder, which is about Bill Finger, the uncredited uh, co-creator of, of Batman. Mm-hmm. And his big thing is he is trying to get his Bill Finger's 100th birthday is coming up um on february 8th and obviously he's he's passed away but he he's trying to he's campaigning google to make bill finger the google doodle uh for the day to try to draw attention to this this person and maybe kind of finally start to get him more of the credit that he deserves uh for his part in creating batman um you can email proposals at google.com and and send them uh you know your wish to have Bill Finger as the Google Doodle um, uh, on his birthday on February 8th. Now, uh, we've got into it a little bit before. Bob has talked about this uh, several times, I believe. Um, mm-hmm. If you guys want to hear this gentleman, Mark Tyler Nobleman, talk about it, check out the Fat Man on Batman podcast because it's a whole, you know, it's like an hour just about uh, Bill Finger and how he basically, you know, came up with the design for Batman, created the, the persona of Batman, created all the things you know and love about Batman are basically his. And we're, we're kind of taken by Bob Kane. So um, it, I think it's a kind of an important an important thing because, you know, obviously we made billions of dollars off Batman and Bill Finger's family and estate have never seen a dime of it. So there we go. Hmm. Amen. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, this is from uh, Wickenhaus uh, uh, on, the, on the forums. He says, 
Uh, I'm loving Fatale and Velvet. Are there any other series, past or present, that fit into that genre? Um, thanks for all the hard work that you do putting the show together and keeping the site going. Uh, so, uh, you know, Velvet and Fatale, both written by Ed Brubaker. Uh, Stephanie, you were just talking about Ed yeah. Brubaker book. Uh, scene of the Crime would definitely fit into that. I mean, it's not really um, uh, a dames and mobsters kind of book, but uh, it's still that noir uh, crime story, and it's it's great. Basically, anything Ed Brubaker falls into that category. Criminal and um, his upcoming series, uh, Fade Out, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can look out for that, and that's like, um, I believe, a behind-the-scenes noir uh, based on his uncle's stories in Hollywood. So um, that should be interesting. But I'm like looking over at my shelf because I've got like a whole bunch of Ed Brubaker stuff. But um, seriously, if you like those, anything like that's kind of his indie work for um, this and that would definitely be right up your alley. Yeah, I believe there's also called Sleeper, I think. Yes, the show yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bob, can you speak to any of this? Like some noirish stuff? Uh, I'll go one newer and one old. The Darwin Cook Parker books are great. Mm-hmm. Whole Whoa! Whoa. I almost fell out of my chair. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because I mentioned Darwin Cook, or yeah. you just almost no, fell out of your chair? No, I just I I mean the wrong way. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. Shocking. But they're <laughs> definitely all set late 40s sort of thing and it's dames and guns and you know glistening um but don't watch the movie that it's based well that's don't do it oh the jason statham movie yeah with jennifer lopez don't do it it's based on a book that the comic is based on and then the movie is based on (laughs) just avoid the movie altogether and what's your older one bob the older one is, is actually, for all intents and purposes, the first graphic novel ever produced, and it's from 1949, and it's Arnold Drake and Matt Baker called It Rhymes with Lust, hmm. which is a very, very famous work in its time, got some attention negatively as well, even though it was very much in character with the movies of that period, the old femme fatale. In this case, it was a rust. That's why it rhymes with lust. And she ran a copper mining town with an iron fist. While wearing her jaw prison, carrying a little riding crop around, too, while she was. So uh, really, really cool stuff. Matt Baker's art is just incredible. He was the master of the girl ever. Mm-hmm. With great action sequences, too. Lots of really great emotional stuff. And it's very much in character with what we're discussing. Um, I'm, I'm quickly interrupting for two seconds. I'm going to find the single issue because I bought it um, just before I moved. But there's something like this new. They're like crime comics and it looks like there was a cover by darwin cook and i haven't read it yet it was like on my it was in my list and i had to pack it away when i moved but i feel like that would be right up your alley and i will get back to you if it's something that you know might be (laughs) what you're looking for but it's new and i think it was like the second issue that i brought cool i'll jump in with something else old before i go then uh the EC reprints, you want to find crime suspense stories and shock suspense stories. They're around in all sorts of different reprints of single issues and trades Ow. and hardcovers and so on and so forth. And this is a work all beautifully drawn and written. 
Stephanie was just losing her mind. Sorry, Bo. No, the cat took my cord and was dragging me. Oh. So, she was can, like, I just, can I just jump in for a second? All right. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, of noir, just if you're, if you want to switch it up a little bit and you want to introduce some uh, monsters and mayhem, you might want to check out Steve Niles' uh, Criminal Macabre for uh, a little bit of a, of a mo- uh, monsterific spin on uh, noir crime tales. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Bob, I kind of missed the end of what you were saying, though, because of what happened with Stephanie. So Sorry. I'm going to repeat a little bit of it. Oh, it's fine. Oh, sure. No, it, as an older thing, they're reprinting EC crime suspense and shot suspense. Mm-hmm. And they're all done by some of the, the 50s and written by... Mostly Al Feldstein, but a lot of Johnny Craig. Fairly violent crime stories. Occasionally there's a monster here and there or some other deep, but usually it's just philandering wives and cheating husbands and all really crummy people doing each other. And they're all, they all get their comeuppance by the time you get to the end. So it makes it all a very nice morality tale. Very nice. Um uh, Repstones here in the, in the forum says this one's for Bob. Having read last week's Black Dynamite number one, which was fun, and going on a recent Power Man and Iron Fist binge, which jumped on the black exploitation and kung fu craze of the '70s, are there any other comics of that subgenre one should pick up? Comics really didn't dive into black exploitation much. Uh, there was a '70s series. Uh, Don McGregor with art by either Rich Buckler, Billy, he was one of the few African-American artists in comics at the time. Gil Kane did some issues, and those are really great. They didn't last too long. It's called Jungle Action. They've been reprinted all over the place. I think there's an Essentials even. thing over at DC, which is, I think, Tony Isabella. Marvel did what, was that Black Gal- what was that over at DC, Bob? Black Lightning. Black Lightning, okay. Jefferson, his name is Jefferson Rice, right? Something <laughs> like that. He was a school teacher who got to have superpowers. Marvel created a black Goliath who was uh, Hank Pym's lab assistant, Bill Foster. Went to recent events, got his chest exploded by some bad guy or good guy who turned bad or whatever it was. Stuff from both companies, Shang-Chi and Daughters of the Dragon. Uh, Richard Diamond, I think, was one around at that point, too. But mm. I, I mostly avoided going there. I guess they didn't want to seem reverse. Power Man and Iron Fist, you can't go too wrong there. It combines both of them at once, and they're very good books and very well seasoned, very balanced, good stuff. Right. Rep made it great. <laughs> All right. Um, so that's going to... I'm going to wrap it up with, the, with the, that question uh, right there. Thank you guys so much for uh, jumping on the forums. It's been it's been really, really great. And in fact, I'm pretty sure Bob has the most popular thread in the, on the entire forum. Really? I'm yeah, pretty does. sure that I'm your uncle Bob, or Bob's your uncle, I believe it's called, yeah. is the most popular thread we have on the entire forum. So I'm shocked. It, it's amazing. It's awesome. It's really, really I'm great. not shocked. No, I'm not shocked at all. <laughs> Not shocked at all. Um, the, the, the reaction has just been amazing um, from all you guys. And, and just thank you so much uh, for, for, for jumping on there and really, really embracing it full on. 
um, mm-hmm. right now. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with any other way, obviously you still can. It's podcast at talkingcompbooks.com and um, you can at talking comics on Twitter and facebook.com slash talking comics. And make sure you guys go to talkingcompbooks.com to check out, you know, all the, the reviews and articles and, and columns and, and features that, that go up there. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I'm losing my voice a little bit here. Um, my personal Twitter is at Bobby Shortle um, and Stephanie's. Mine is at Hello Cookie. Uh, Bob. Bob Royer at TalkingComicBooks.com. And Steve. Mine is at Dead underscore Anchorus. Awesome. So that's all the ways you can get in touch with us. Um, I'm doing that now because I always feel weird when I do it at the end because I say, tell me your stuff. And then I say your names again to say goodbye. So I'm putting the, uh, the, the releases in between the two things so Ooh. that I don't have to go right, right from it. Um, so on the shelves right now, We've got uh, from Action Lab Entertainment, Fracture number two, Jackhammer number one, and Skyward number five. Oh, um, before you go, wait a minute. Princeless Encore Edition number three is one of the, I think it was the Eisner Award winner or at least a nominee. It is a very funny issue called On Sexism Industry. So that's a reprint, right, Bob, of a, of a, yeah. of a previous issue, correct? Right. Gone okay. out of print. The trades were out of print. This is a hilarious issue. Uh, where Adrienne, who's trying to find a way to save herself, finds herself in the armor shop Worf and his daughter, and she has her own little armor collection. And you, Sonia, the warrior princess, and all these other things that are completely impractical, and then she shows her the real stuff that a real woman would wear. Hmm. Very nicely done. Very funny. Awesome. Awesome. Buck ninety nine or whatever. Um, two ninety nine, I believe. Two ninety nine, still well worth twice the price. <laughs> um, from Avatar Press, we have Cross Badlands number forty five. Um, from Boom Studios, we have Bravest Warriors number sixteen, Deceivers number two of six, Hacktivist number one of four, um, Midas Flesh number two, and Peanuts number fifteen. From Dark Horse, we've got uh. Ooh, Captain Midnight, number seven. Conan the Barbarian, number 24. Dark Horse Presents, number 32. ElfQuest, The Final Quest, number one. Um, we've got Mass Effect Foundation, number seven. The Massive, number 19. Mind Management, number 18. And Star Wars Legacy 2, number 11. Um, from DC Comics, we have Animal Man, number 27. We've got Batman, number 27. Batman 66, number seven. Batman and Two-Face, number 27. Batman Beyond Universe, number six. Uh, we've got Batwoman, number 27, Birds of Prey, number 27, Green Lantern, New Guardians, number 27, Harley Quinn, number 2, Justice League, number 27, Red Hood and the Outlaws, number 27, Scribble Nuts, Unmasked, A Crisis of Imagination, number 1, Supergirl, number 27, Trinity of Sin, Pandora, number 7, Unwritten, volume 2, Apocalypse, um, Wonder Woman, number 27. From Dynamite Entertainment, we have Badass, number 1. Battlestar Galactica, number seven. Doc Savage, number two. Uh, Legends of Red Sonia, number three. Little Bionic Kids, number one. Lone Ranger, number 21. Mocking Dead, number five. Mar- Warlord of Mars, Deja Thoris, number 34. From IDW, we've got Ben 10, number three. We've got Jin Rise, number nine. Judge Dredd, number 15. Judge Dredd, Mega City 2, number one of five. We've got Magic the Gathering, Theros, number four. Mr. Peabody and Sherman, number three. 
My Little Pony, Friends Forever, number one. Samurai Jack, number four. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Utram Empire, number one. Transformers, Bob? I'm on a roll. Uh, what did I say last week? Robots in Disguise. That is correct. Oh, three in a row. X-Files Conspiracy, Ghostbusters, number one. Uh, from Image Comics, we've got Aphrodite 9, The Hidden Files, number one. Bad Dog, number six. Bedlam, number 11. We've got Chew, number 34. Uh, we've got Carbon Gray, volume three, number two. Dead Body Road, number two. Deadly Class, number one. Krampus, number two. Pretty Deadly, number four. Sex, number 10. Um, Umbral, number three. Walking Dead, number 120. And Zero, number five. Uh, oh, damn. From Marvel Comics, we've got All New Invaders, number one. All New X-Factor, number two. All New X-Men, number 22, Point Now. Avengers, number 25. Avengers World, number two. Black Widow, number two. Cable and X-Force, number 19. Captain America, number 15. We've got Cataclysm Ultimate X-Men, number three. FF, number 16, which is the final issue. We have George A. Romero's Empire of the Dead, Act One, number one. We've got Hawkeye, number 16. Uh, We've got Indestructible Hulk, number 18, point INH. Iron Man, number 20, point INH. We've got uh, Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man, number 22. We've got Mighty Avengers, number 5, point INH. Wolverine Origins 2, number 2. Superior Spider-Man Team-Up, number 9. Wolverine the X-Men, number 40. X-Men, number 9. And that is it for Marvel. Um, That's all, by the way. That's all. Just those 80 books that they're putting out. Um, From Titan Publishing. All new, and they're all now. Yeah. Um, Titan Publishing, I just want to mention, because they just got the rights to publish Doctor Who comics from IDW. So those will be coming uh, soon from them. Uh, Valiant Entertainment, we have Eternal Warrior, number 5. And Exo Man of War, number 21. And Xenoscope, we've got Grim Fairy Tales Presents, Quest, number three, and Wonderland Asylum, number one. And that's what's on the shelves right now. Um, Again, I want to thank everybody for listening, Uh, especially, you know, we had a blizzard today and we put together the show. There were some audio hiccups and some back and forth, but (laughs) we got a show out and we got a show for you guys. So um, I'm glad we got to do that. Um, Again, make sure you guys visit the site and check out well and check out kind of the the sister stuff going on that we have as well i mean steve of course is constantly he writes uh for joe blow uh stephanie has her misfortune cookie site um and we have our uh sister podcast talking movies which brian verderosa an original member of talking comics oh uh, runs so check that out steve yes and um the reconvened uh talking comics book club will be meeting uh, this Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the uh, Talking Comics YouTube channel. You guys, uh, we're going to try to make it a little bit more interactive this time. Uh, the book will be Charles Soule's Strange Attractors. So if you are interested in joining us or just listening along and just want to hang out and check out the book, uh, we got a great panel. It'll be an awesome discussion, and uh, we'll keep you updated on that. Absolutely. Awesome. Awesome stuff. And uh, oh, yeah, Comics and Coffee is coming back this Friday, everybody. So anybody who likes that show, it'll, it'll be back. Mara and I will be back. I like Friday. that show. <laughs> there you go. Good. We got, and we got a fan. we'll be, Mara, Melissa, and I will hopefully be launching our monthly uh, podcast sometime in the very near future for all of you who have kept asking us to do it. So mm. look out spray? for that. Have you want to share the name, Stephanie? Sure. <laughs> so our uh, the podcast that is you know 
en route is uh, the Misfits, but with two S's because we're ladies. The Misfits? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the Misfits. I like it. Yeah. So, yeah. Because, yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yay, indeed. So, so that'll be debuting soon. Yeah, awesome. a, lot, a lot of stuff coming from uh, from Talking Comics in, in the very near future. Um, and that's going to do it uh, for the show uh, for this week. So for Steve. Stay warm. Bob. Don't shovel. And Stephanie. May. I have been Bobby. Until next time on Talking Comics. To be continued. <laughs> <laughs>